This is Mark Price of Georgia Tech and the Cleveland Cavaliers, and you're listening to the Shadows Podcast. Welcome, Shadows listeners. As always, with the month of March, the Shadows Podcast presents the Rebound Series. If you're new to the podcast or you're a loyal listener that hasn't had a chance to check out these episodes in the past, I encourage you to go back and listen to these episodes from our previous two seasons. Here's a quick rundown of who's joined us on the previous seasons of the Rebound Series. Episode 6, Andre McCarter. He was the point guard on John Wooden's final national championship team. Episode 20, Jamie Valvano, the daughter of the legendary head coach Jim Valvano from North Carolina State. Episode 21, Jeff Fryer. He's the current record holder for most threes in an NCAA tournament game and teammate of Bo Kimball and Hank Gathers at Loyola Marymount. Episode 22, Dr. Lenise Bias. She's the mother of Maryland All-American Lynn Bias. Episode 23, Shimon Williams. Played four seasons to include the final season at North Carolina under the legendary Dean Smith. And then season two, episode 71, Jackie Stiles, former all-time leading scorer for women's college basketball at Southwest Missouri State. Episode 72, Kyle Guy, 2019 Final Four Most Outstanding Player and National Championship at Virginia. Episode 73, Sherry Cole, former Oklahoma women's head coach. Episode 74, Dale Brown, former LSU men's head coach. In episode 75, Ann O'Neill, she played at Illinois and Iowa State and now does color commentary for ESPN. Now this season, we celebrate the legends of the ACC. Episode 116, Joanne P. McCauley, most notably, the former head coach at Michigan State and Duke women's basketball programs. Episode 117, Matt Doherty, 1982 national champion and former head coach at Notre Dame and North Carolina. Episode 118, Thurl Bailey, 1983 national champion, is a member of the Cardiac Pack NC State men's basketball team and a veteran NBA player with the Utah Jazz. Episode 119, Ricky Price, former All-ACC standout at Duke. And then we wrap things up with Season 3 with Episode 120, Mark Price, 1983 ACC Rookie of the Year, 1985 ACC Player of the Year, and legend at Georgia Tech and with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Shadows listeners, we encourage you to check out all these episodes on your favorite podcast platforms or available at theshadowspodcast.com. Now, enjoy this episode of... Well, I want to go ahead and series. welcome everyone back to another episode of the Shadows Podcast, our third season of the Rebound Series. Uh, we have been traveling down Tobacco Road. We had Coach Joanne P. McCauley from Duke, and then we had Coach Matt Doherty on our previous episode. And now we've got some some wolf pack red and black on here with Thurl Bailey. Sir, welcome to the shadows. Thank you, Trip. This is a really cool experience for me. I think the 1983 NC State team, um, they're, the, they're the OGs of Cinderella's out there in uh, March Madness. And um, just to tell our listeners a little bit about you, you are perhaps the most diverse guest I've ever had. You are a TV analyst, inspirational speaker, singer songwriter, father, author, and a member of the 1983 NC State National Championship team. Wow, I was going to ask you, how do you have time for, for all of that? But goodness, how does it feel to hear all that? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's humbling. 
I think that's probably uh, the best word I can find right now. It's, you know, the, the, the journey is always interesting. And yeah. whether it's mine or yours or anybody else's, it's uh, where you are today is a culmination of things that you've done in your past. And, and along the way, you're building this platform. So I, I've got some great stories to tell. And um, it's been a great journey. And, and you know, it continues. So yeah. uh, it is very humbling. Well, we're going to get started with some rapid fire questions for you. First, book recommendation for our listeners out there. Besides yours, we're going to get to yours. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that's a great question. Book recommendations. Um, I would say, wow. Now you got me compelled. I don't even want to waste time thinking about a great book because they're there's so many out there. Oh, I, I, I did read um, Dr. J's, Julius Irving's autobiography. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the reasons I was interested in his story is because he is partly responsible for me, for my love of basketball. Yeah. He actually got me started. I mean, I had, I was just a kid. I was just a teenager getting into basketball, but I saw him play. I didn't know who he was, but my dad was watching a basketball game one day on a black and white Zena TV set. And I sat down next to him and I didn't know who he was. I just saw a fro that came out to here. Yep. And I could tell, even without knowing a lot about basketball, that he was one of the greatest. He was one of the best players that in that game. And I asked my dad who he was and he said, son, that's Dr. J. And I looked at my dad kind of dumbfounded. And I said, dad, I didn't know doctors could play professional basketball. (laughs) That's how much I didn't know. Uh, So it kind of started this journey of me wanting to be like him. So I read his book and I actually had him on my podcast um, that I had a couple of years ago. And so um, it's a great book. It's a great book about history. Black history in basketball, about him growing up and visiting his cousins in the Jim Crow South and and the things that about racism that were really new to him based on where he grew up. So I, I really recommend reading uh, Julius Irving's book. I think the, the Internet had cut out there for a second. Did, did you tell about when you met him when you first joined the NBA? Yeah, when I. Uh, I, that was a full circle moment for me because I had idolized him throughout my whole young career in college. And, um, and the night I played against him, I walked out on the court and he reached his hand out to shake mine and said, congratulations, son. And on a college, great college season, welcome to the NBA. And wow, that actually was the greatest moment of my NBA career. I know it sounds weird, but to meet the guy who I idolized for that long, uh, I think he proceeded to score 47 points on me that night, but <laughs> well, it was well worth it. Well worth it. All right. Next question for you. And that, that was a great answer. Uh, most underrated NC state player. Most underrated NC state player of any time of yep. any. Um, <clears throat> I say the most underrated was probably um uh, Ernie Myers. Mm. Uh, Ernie Myers showed that 
as a freshman when Derek Wittenberg got yeah. hurt, that um, that he belonged. I mean, he stepped up and did some great things, and I mean, he was an amazing guard. Great handles, great ability to score at his pace. Um, so we got we basically got to see a highlight of what Ernie Myers could become. And I think even then, uh, he was he was he stepped into a role of one of our leaders in Derek Wittenberg. Um, but I'm not ever sure we got to see the best of Ernie Myers. Right. Um, you know, and partly because of the timing. You know, we had three seniors on that team. One of those was basically in his position. So um, I would say, you know, from my knowledge and, and from that year, I think uh, it was exciting to see him step up like that. But I don't think we ever got to see the best of him because I think, you know, there was so much focus on that year and the seniors but Ernie Myers was truly, truly a, 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 a really good player then, and he was transitioning to a great player. Uh, I think, to me, he was the most underrated. Okay. Best player you ever played against in college? Best player I ever played against in college? Um, wow, that's a lot of them. And that was a stacked ACC at that time, too. Yeah, and I know people are thinking, well, didn't you play against Michael Jordan in North Carolina? I did, but he wasn't the best player then. Uh, he was – He was. Ralph Sampson was probably the most dominant player in the yeah. ACC at that time. Yeah, I'd have to say Ralph uh, just because he was so ahead of his time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and there was a lot – there were a lot of great players in that version of ACC. I, I think Len Bias was – an amazing player uh, as well at that time. But Ralph was so much ahead of his time with guard skills and a big body that uh, it would be Ralph. Speaking of Lynn Bias, I know this is the rapid fire, but we had Dr. Lenise Bias, his mother, on season one. Tell our listeners out there, especially a younger audience, just how good Lynn Bias was. Oh, my goodness. He, he was... Uh, he was really a phenomenon. I mean, we talk so much about Michael Jordan and we, you know, we will never know his abilities and what he could have been. But as a college player, uh, he was a beast. You know, he had those Michael Jordan-like skills. Mm -hmm. um, but I even think his body was better at that time. Uh, his ability to, to just power through guys and also be finesse. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I attended his funeral and that was just a, that was just a travesty to, to, to lose him. Uh, and he would have become a great NBA player as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he was, he was amazing. Yeah. Throw him in, in YouTube, throw his name in YouTube and look up some of those clips yeah. and just dominated games. Least favorite crowd to play in front of in college. Duke. Duke, Duke's everybody. <laughs> Even at that time when Coach K was just kind of up oh, yeah. and coming. Yeah, it was Duke because we would um, we would have to take football players on our trips with us. Wow. Uh, because the, 
the students were so close behind our bench. Yeah. And um, I can tell the story. Uh, my first year at NC State, and we went to play Duke. Uh, the students had water guns, water pistols, and they would squirt um, what we thought was water. Oh. Uh, yeah, so we had to take football players with us. And uh, on, on every trip, we had them sit right behind us. And that stopped right away. But uh, yeah, that was the toughest place to play. And even besides that, they were... Oh, the even pizza back yeah, even back then, the pizza yeah. boxes with Lorenzo Charles, the keys with Clyde Austin, um, they were, you know, if you're the home team, those are the kind of fans that you, you know, you love and you revel yeah. in. And they've always been that way, even before Duke, you know, became very a very prominent basketball powerhouse. Yeah. Uh, so, but it made it even better when we won there. Yeah, oh, I bet. I bet. Last question of the rapid fire. Dinner for three, three historical figures no longer with us. Who do you break bread with? Dinner for three, three historical figures. Who do you break bread with? Um, Dr. King. Mm. Um, I would say... Just three? Just the, oh, I like it. Just three. <laughs> three and me? <laughs> oh, wow. Jesus Christ. He's been invited to everyone so far. So you, oh, you've kept that street going. Yep. <laughs> and historical figures. I gotta bring Coach back, man. Oh, that's 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 a fun group right there. Those three, you know, Coach yeah. B is, is uh, he meant so much to me in my life and has taught me so much. And and uh, you know, it was it was uh, Boyd when we lost him. So I, I think uh, I think I'm learning a lot with that group. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's actually cool. We have. Um, Dr. King's church right up the road here uh, over at Dexter Avenue. So really cool spot to, to stop by. So you survived our rapid fire questions. <laughs> let's, let's get into your journey. So you grew up in Washington, DC. What were some of your aspirations growing up as a kid? Well, I was born in DC and soon after I was born, my parents uh, moved across the border there uh, about a 15 minute drive to Maryland, Prince George's County, and lived there till I went to college. Um, but I was, I was an academic guy, mm -hmm. you know, desegregation had, uh, I was born in 61. And by the time I was uh, leaving elementary school, uh, we had uh, basically were bused to the white schools. And so um, my mom always reiterated to us that education was going to be our way out. You know, we weren't really in a, we were lower middle class, if not lower class. And, um, 
So I couldn't come home with C's or below. My mom said, you know, I don't raise average kids and C's average. So I don't want to see average grades or below on your report cards. So that was instilled in me and us kids all our lives. So education was paramount priority. And um, so I did well. I did well in, in school and I uh, joined clubs in school. I was a student government president, first black one actually at my high school. And music was my kind of re my release. I sang in choirs and played the trombone and the tuba and the marching band. And so those were my, I was kind of a nerdy kid. Those were kind of my releases though. And, uh, and then one particular evening, um, my dad showed me basketball. That was my, my Dr. J moment. But my parents struggled. You know, my mom, she, she only made 50 cents an hour when, when they moved from North Carolina to, to Washington, D.C. She scrubbed floors for rich uh, white families. Made 50 cents an hour. My dad uh, did odd jobs just to, just to make sure we had what we needed. And, and so that was kind of my upbringing in Maryland. And, you know, the village raised us when my parents weren't home. Then there were neighbors and aunts and uncles that, you know, they, they helped raise each, we raised each other's kids. So um, that was kind of the life in Maryland. And then I found basketball and gave me a little, little release and, and kept me away from the gangs and the drugs and things like that. Yeah. I always like to ask this question. What is something that you learned from your mother or father that you subconsciously find yourself doing still to this day? Well, they just taught me the meaning of, of um, standing up for what I believe in. You know, my mom and dad were right sort of in the middle of the civil rights movement as far as uh, teaching us what was going on during that time. And they even attended the famous Dr. King speech in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. And came home and just talked to us about, you know, how to treat people and how to continue to fight and stand up for what you believe in. And, and but they never came home angry. Uh, and uh, I think the biggest thing I learned, especially from my mom, was uh, the most precious asset that we all have is time. You know, time is very precious and you don't want to spend time wasting it. But she said, always give it. Always give up your time. Even at some of the most inconvenient moments at some point in your life, um, it's not about you. It's maybe how you can make that other person feel at that moment. It could be just a few seconds. But, um, you know, ultimately it was about serving other people. And so, um, you know, like all parents, they want us to live our dreams and believe in ourselves and they're our biggest fans. But, uh, you know, to, to give someone of your time, whether it's a kid who wants to know how you were able to to uh, be successful or wants an autograph, in my case, um, or somebody who just wants some advice. Uh, it's, you know, it's about serving other people and, and sometimes uh, forgetting about yourself. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome to hear. And um, I mean, your your journey in high school to me, I thought was really interesting because you got cut your seventh grade year, and then you got cut your eighth grade year. And correct me if I'm wrong, but your coach was like, "Don't even come back." Yeah, yeah, he did. He just he just thought I wasn't built for it. And uh, he knew what he wanted. He wanted a team that he could win a championship with immediately. And so, uh, by the way, in my, sev- my seventh grade, I was about six four. Eighth grade, I was six seven. And so, my last year of junior high school, my ninth grade year, he ended up taking a job at another school. So, um, at six nine, I had to decide whether I was going to walk back into that gym and try out for a team under a new new hire. Hmm. And, you know, when you fail that many times, some people, all it takes is once you just decide that maybe it's not for you or uh, you buy into other people's version of what you should do and maybe take a, you know, a path that's, that's not as, uh, you don't have to work very hard. So I, I, I took all those things in and decided I was going to give it one more shot, partly because of uh, I had, I knew Dr. J's story and I knew that that kind of drove me into wanting to be follow his path and try to emulate what he did. And that they, uh, you know, today's world, they say success leaves clues. And back then, um, I just kind of let that be my guide. I walked back in there and the biggest, the most important thing that happened to me was the guy who was at the helm at that time. Um, he made everybody feel like they had a shot to make the team. There were 50 of us in there trying out and he just went around and complimented everybody and pushed everybody. And I, I felt like everybody in that room thought they had a shot to make it. Yeah. Regardless of what their skills were. And so that taught me something about leaders and how they approach things and the, and the um, the lenses that they see other people, yeah. right? They know what they want. And that coach who cut me didn't have an obligation to keep me, but he knew what he was, he wanted to to accomplish with with what he was doing. So I made the team that year. I made the cut list, and that coach brought me into his office a couple of days after, and he said to me, "I changed my life." He said, "If you want to be a really good player, you've got a lot of work to do." But he said, if you're willing, if you want to commit, I'll come in one hour before the team practices and I'll work with you. And after we get done, I'll stay one hour after. Wow. And I couldn't, I couldn't fathom how, you know, a, a kid with no talent in my eyes, I mean, I was just starting out in the game. Why would he want to spend that much time with me? That's, that's what, like four hours, one with me, two with the team and one after with me. And he told me, he said, uh, you know, I see it. I see potential in you. You don't even see in yourself. Wow. And it wow. just changed me in a way that's affected me today because he gave me an opportunity, gave me a choice. And he worked with me and he spent time with me, time that it was precious to him. You know, he could have been home with his family that one hour before and one hour after. Yeah. So it really changed me in the sense that um, this man saw potential in me. So, you know, as I became successful and I, 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 I tried to wear those same lenses, 
Yeah. You know, every kid's not going to make it into the NBA, but um, they've got potential to be something, be something great. And uh, if we can only see that and we can help foster that, then uh, you know, we have a we have a better we have a better world that we live in. What about the it seems like it's kind of forecasting out not to jump too far ahead, but it seems like anytime there's been a coaching transition, there's been a little bit of uncertainty, but it's ended up being a blessing in disguise. It's almost like the what's the saying I've heard before the universe's rejection is the universe's protection and set yeah. you up for some amazing things. And talk to us about recruiting, because it was I mean, right in your backyard, you got Georgetown with John Thompson, which I came as a shadow is one of the best books I've ever read for a coach. Uh, and then you have Lefty Giselle at Maryland, and then you got NC State up the road. So how in the world did you end up at State? Uh, coach Norm Sloan came to my house, right? And and other coaches, I wasn't highly recruited. Uh, even North Carolina was recruiting me for a while until they signed uh, James Worthy and they stopped recruiting me. So that took them out of the equation. Only had a few schools left. Of course, uh, I was going to look in my own, like you said, my own backyard with um, University of Maryland in Georgetown. Uh, I visited those schools and I actually had visited NC State when I was a young basketball player. I won a raffle to go to a basketball camp there with some other players and we headed down there and I had a great time. I was there was probably about it was it was our AAU team and I was uh, probably the the least likely player to get a scholarship. Yeah, everybody else was mature and um, so we went to that camp and after that camp I kept getting these uh, cards these cards from NC State and they would be from um, one of the assistant coaches there whose name was Eddie Biedenbach. And uh, Norm Sloan at times, but Eddie Biedenbach, I really kind of clung clung to him when I was there. Uh, he was a great guy. He turned. He ended up leaving NC State and taking a head job at Davidson College. And so um, I added Davidson to my recruiting list. They started recruiting me. I added them to my schools. And in the end, uh, Coach Sloan came to the house and. You know, we sat down and my mom, you know, back then, if you wanted a kid to come to your school, you need to talk to mama. Mm-hmm. So we all sat down and my mom asked questions about my education. And she threw in one of those, coach, you know, you're going to make sure my son gets an education, right? Coach Sloan said, yes, ma'am. And she threw in one of these, coach, don't make me, if my son comes in, don't make me come down to the school, right? So <laughs> mama was serious. So it was a tough choice, but I ended up, uh, going to North Carolina State, I ended up signing my letter of intent there. And, uh, and you know, as the story goes, after my first, after my freshman season, Coach Norm Sloan decides to to leave and took a job at the University of Florida, I believe. And, um, you know, I, I actually was very distraught. Yeah. You know, and there, I wasn't the only one on the team. Guys were trying to figure out what they were going to do follow him, stay there. I was going home. So I called my mom. I said, mom, coach Sloan's leaving. I don't know what to do. I think I'm going to come home. And uh, I'm going to quote my mom. She said, son, you may be going somewhere, 
but you're definitely not coming here. <laughs> so her advice to me was to just be patient and uh, listen to whoever they hired. And I used to, you might end up liking the guy. If you don't like him, then you can go somewhere else, but you're not coming home, you're gonna get your education. So that kind of started a, kind of a new phase, a new journey where this, we're sitting in this room waiting for the new guy to walk in. We didn't know him, didn't owe him anything. So we, we really weren't trying to hear what he had to say. You know, you got these young kids. So he walks in and introduces himself as Jim Balvano. And um, if you can imagine our posture, our arms are crossed, our heads are down, or we're not, we're not trying to, we don't know you, right? So what do you have to say to us that's going to make us feel better? And Tripp, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, I know that I'm going to win a national championship. He said it just like that, which, you know, to me was kind of selfish, right? I know I'm going to win a national championship. So, um, you know, when you say something like that, it's kind of a shock factor. So we all kind of look up. And uh, then he he basically goes into this spiel about him dreaming about a championship. He knows it's going to happen soon. And if we decide to take the journey with him, uh, then he knows we can get there. And that was really the beginning of that magical journey. He had to earn trust and he didn't get it right away. And, and so there were things that were so unorthodox that we, we did with him, this kind of, uh, just, I call it trust training, you know, where we come into the gym and we, we spend two hours just cutting down nets and pretending like we won a national championship. And so this is how we got to know Jim Balbano. And when Norm Sloan left, he didn't have a contract, correct? No, he did not. Crazy to think. And uh, yeah, it was, it, you know, it was one of those things where you're like, okay, well, he's gone. So, and he didn't ask any of us to come with him. That was the thing. Uh, and so there were a couple of guys, I think uh, Sydney was thinking about going with him and he told Sydney, no, I want you to stay here. Uh, you committed to NC State and I want you to, you know, to stay committed to him. So yeah, it was, uh, it was the new coach, Coach V was, you know, he was, um, there was a possibility he could lose most of his team that year. How do you think it would have been different if there had been the transfer portal? Oh my. You know, that that was it's it's crazy to look at that now and see how that has just become a norm. Um, but back then in that era, I mean, yeah, coach leaving that could trigger something like that. But in that era, I mean, that's how rivalries were created. Guys stayed, you know, the, the really great players stayed for at least three years. Oh, yeah. Uh, and a lot of four years. So there wasn't any. Any, uh, and, and and even though you knew there were other players coming behind you and players who have great talent, They're you paid. stayed to fight for your your job. Yeah, right? you stayed there to compete. And look, it's uh, yeah, that landscape is 
very different today. Oh yeah. And you're seeing it more now, but it's due to NIL deals. They're sticking around because they don't need to That's right. it like they would. And uh, Coach Valvan, I'm always so curious. I, I remember back in early 2000s, I was working front desk at a YMCA and I read a book on him and I was just mesmerized. And I'd already, you know, memorized the SB speech, reading some of his stories. I mean, even what you said about cutting down the nets, that cognitive behavior of it's very unique way of doing it. It's getting you to practice. But to skip ahead in the story, uh, what was it? How did the story go about when it was time to cut down the nets in Albuquerque? Yeah, well, you know, it was, again, another full circle moment where when you practice something so much and you you imagine it and you plan for it and you you know, you have some luck along the way, the stars have to align, but, you know, the belief is, our belief was that we create our own luck because we, you know, we stuck together in the, in the more difficult times uh, and you find yourself in a national championship against one of the greatest teams, college teams ever put together. I mean, that Houston Bicelama Jamming team was- Intimidating. Yeah, it was like a NBA team masquerading as college players almost, yeah. right? So, um, you know, we, it's interesting because I saw when I fell to my knees, when Lorenzo Charles dunked it in, I remember distinctly being helped up and I looked over the fans who were helping me up and I saw all I saw in that moment was all Houston fans and how they were lying on the floor and banging on the floor and crying and Lajuan was looking for the bus. And in that moment, I was thinking, wow, it, it's the other side of this. I'm so glad I'm on this end of it, you yeah, know? And, yeah. and and for a moment, even kind of felt, I did in, 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 a, in a way, even through the euphoria, like somebody had to lose this. And um, I remember when the NCAA Folks came over and you know they had the scissors and instead of taking those scissors, Coach V had his own. And uh, it was just an amazing moment that kind of culminated that moment into what we had gone through. And we felt like we belonged though, right? Yeah, we felt yeah. like we had been there. Uh, whether it was a subconscious thing or not, we gravitated towards what we wanted and I, I i think that's some real it doesn't happen to everybody in everything but i think that's that's some uh, a real ingredient of being successful I and mean, if you can't see it and dream about it and understand that it's going to take more than just you to get there it's a collective feeling that's a powerful thing that that uh that really transformed into one of the greatest journeys i think in sports of all time and the crazy part of that story was 81, y'all are 14 and 13, 82, 22 and 10, you know, a lot more competitive that year. Yeah. But UNC wins a national title right down the road. And then y'all come back in 83, y'all ranked. And, and this is, folks, I can't stress enough, ACC was stacked at that time. But that NC State team was riddled with injuries, yeah. uh, off-court issues, didn't go into the ACC tournament with a ton of momentum. 
you get into the ACC tournament. And the question that I'm always curious about, because y'all eked out a 1.1 against Wake, you beat Carolina in overtime, and then you beat uh, an awesome team. Y'all beat two top five teams in a matter of two days. When was it where y'all felt like, all right, we're starting to get a little bit of momentum going here? Well, I think as far as strength of schedule that year, we had one of the toughest, if not the toughest schedule in the country. You played Louisville too, Final Four. Louisville, I think we played Wichita State, and uh, I believe it was that year. Um, I mean, it was, you know, Virginia was always ranked up there. We played them a couple of times, North Carolina. I mean, it was it was just a, a tough, tough schedule. And that question gets asked a lot. When was it? When was it? Was it a game or a moment or a time? No, I, for me, I, I just think it was just a, a period of knowing that you've got this momentum, right? Even through some losses. I know that sounds crazy, but even how we responded and reacted to Witt's foot injury against Virginia, that first game against Virginia, and how we were able to witness the growth, the maturity of Ernie Myers and Lorenzo Charles and Kozel McQueen. Uh, they, they stepped into a place that was different for them, but they came through and, you know, we lost some tough games, but we got Derek back at the right moment. He came back against Virginia of all teams. We, we ended up losing that game as well. But there was a point where it just started to click that now we've got something special. It took Derek's injury to get us to a point where other guys, you know, understood what their worth was. And when Derek came back and he adjusted to us, we were that, you know, we were, we were that much better as a team. So um, I, I think our understanding that we may not make this tournament if we don't win the ACC tournament, I, yeah, I think that yeah. was probably a, the truth of it. And y'all were healthy at that point too. We were healthy. Yeah. And we, we had 16 wins, I think. And we didn't think that was going to get us there. Yeah. Even with the strength of schedule. So um, at that point, we were pretty good. We Sense really, of urgency. Yeah. And we were just good. And and it wasn't just the players. I mean, yeah. Coach V, he took a lot of risks, right, as a coach. And, you know, when you intentionally foul people, that wasn't happening at that time. It's brilliant, though, against Houston. It's brilliant if it works. Yeah. Right? Right. Well, it did it against Carolina too, I think, in the ACC. It did. Yeah, yeah. It, it did against it it, it. it did against Pepperdine. You know. Yep. And so, to to have a coach like that, now you talk about leadership. To have a coach who knows that in order to be successful, you've got to take some risks. Well, when do you take them? Who do you yeah. take them with? Right. Dane Subtle for Pepperdine was right eighty close to ninety percent free throw shooter. But Coach V's philosophy was this big stage. This isn't like you were, you know, your your conference games. You're on a big stage. And I think the odds of him at least missing one of these shots is great. I mean, that's he was that calculatory. He, the the yeah. guy was just amazing. Um, so I, I don't think he gets us. enough credit as an X's and O's guy. No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't, but 
we knew we knew how good he was same question about your parents what is something that you find yourself here in 2023 doing that you're like that's that's coach right there yeah um you know it may sound cliche-ish but the never give up thing is 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 part of my brand and who i am and what i teach whether it's corporate or aau or youth or troubled kids uh try to get them to envision what they want you know what what is it they want to achieve if they don't have a passion they need to find one um and so uh those things are are, are timeless they're all they're evergreen and uh you know, obviously Coach V lives inside of all of us and and still continues to make a difference with the Jimmy V Foundation. And, you know, I sincerely thought he was going to beat it. I thought the guy could beat anything. And, uh, you know, those are the things that, that have made me me, along with all the other great leaders in my life. Well, his legacy is still really strong as we are 40 years. You know, just celebrated 40-year anniversary of the 83 team. And that 83 team, folks, if you're not a sports fan, they, they beat Pepperdine in double overtime once they get into the tournament. Then they beat UNLV by one. Then they go on to beat Utah, which is kind of ironic. You're, you're doing work with the Jazz organization now, but they beat the Utes. Then they had to play Virginia yet again to get to the Final Four. They beat Virginia, go into the Final Four. They beat Georgia. And then uh, I, I love this here. I found this on my phone. This is from April 4th, 1983. Midnight Nears for NC State. This is from the Washington Post. And I'm just going to read this little excerpt, but trees will tap dance, elephants will drive in Indy, and Orson Welles will skip lunch before NC State finds a way to beat Houston. And then down here it says, basically they say Elijah Wan and Houston are a, a cinch to win the national championship. Uh, yeah, it, it was really great article to read now looking back at it but y'all go in and y'all out dunk houston yes we do two to one the final dunk was for the for the national title when in that game because y'all came in huge underdogs and this is a really good story for for average listener out there came in as underdogs but when did you feel like all right we we might actually win this thing not just we have a chance but we might actually win i don't know if we came to the we might actually win this thing and until somewhere in the final game um but i can i can honestly say for me that the most difficult game wasn't the one against houston it was the one against pepperdine it was that very first one uh, when we went to corvallis and we're playing a very good pepperdine team and just some weird things happened, right? I mean, just uh, I think Sydney fouls out of the game. Um, we're down. I can't remember how many points, but it crazy not, comeback. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy comeback. And uh, so, and then, and as we listened to the game later, because I think it was on delay or something, but. Um, Sydney filed out of the game and the announcers are saying, well, this is Sydney Lowe's last college game. And, you know, NC State had a great run of it. And so we it's just amazing how things happen. We finally come back and we win that game. And, and I think after that game, we knew 
that something special was brewing here, right? Even if our journey ended in the next game against UNLV, like we, we've got a special group of guys, we've got a special family here, and we're going to ride this thing as no, you always have those stories in the NCAA tournament, right? This team that's overachieving and everybody's rooting for them and they're growing fans with every game they win because nobody ever expected them to get that far. And normally they don't. They don't. They come up short because talent, you know, wins over. Um, after the UNLV game, there was kind of a strong every game, right? It was green at UNLV coming out basically saying that I had never showed him anything, so he wasn't worried about me. So that's kind of the, the ammunition I needed and we needed. Uh, we win that game in an amazing fashion, kind of poetic justice in a way. So I think in, in answer to your question, I think we, we felt confident with each win because we were garnishing fans from everywhere, not just NC State. I mean, the letters that came in from people who didn't even know who we were in the beginning. We were just this destiny's darling team that people were gravitating towards because of something in their life that we related to. You know, we didn't understand that as, as just young college kids, but we were starting to get it, that it was more than just about us and a game and, and a mascot and a, and a school. It was really a, a all over the nation. It was something that was snowballing into this guy. We're, we're representing something a lot larger than what we think. And so um, when we got to the championship game, uh, we were at that point, there was no fear. We were confident. We belonged there. We earned it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Coach V was still himself, right? He was talking to the press saying, you know, we might not shoot the ball till Wednesday. <laughs> Basically saying there's no shot clock. So if we get a lead, we're going to hold it. And didn't tell us any different until that day of the game when we were about to run out there on the court came storming in and basically said, guys, are you freaking kidding me? We're not, we're going to run with these guys. We're going to go, we're going to run. We're going to go play our game and we're going to win. <laughs> like, you know, and we were hyped up, man. So, you know, that was, that's, that was how we wanted to play. And so we were going to do what coach V said, but if he wanted us to hold it with the league, we we're going to do it. But man, when he came in there and just, Oh, he just kind of like took all that away from us, all that worry and lifted that weight off our shoulders and go play, just go play. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, after watching the Houston Louisville game in the semifinals, of course that would take you back a little bit and say, we, we got our hands full. Yeah. We come this far, but those are men, mm -hmm. right? Um, but we still had, I mean, we knew who we were. Yeah. There was no shaking us and what a great story it would be. <laughs> what a great inspirational motivator uh, Coach Alvano was. And, you know, tell listeners about the Survive in Advance series and then also your book, Team of Destiny. And where can they get a copy? 
Well, you know, Surviving Advance, the 30 for 30 documentary um, was an amazing depiction of the, the entire journey. And, it's, and, and I have to give uh, Derek Wittenberg credit because, you know, he's, he was one of the executive producers, one of the brainchilds of putting it together. But you still have to find the right people who can tell the story the right way. And so um, just the way that it was produced with some of the difficulties with Lorenzo's death in the beginning and the funeral and and actually starting with the the final game, the dunk, uh, and then going back and telling the story of the journey of the team and then the story of Jimmy V, just just well done, well done. And everybody that I talked to that has seen it, I think it was actually the first two hour one that they produced. Um, even if they didn't know a lot about our team or weren't in the sports, they got something out of it. Something that, that gave them something. Um, so millions of people know the story, they know the journey, they know the game that kind of, you know, capsulized the whole thing. But in writing the book, a lot of people didn't really know the characters, right? The individuals. What was Ernie Myers like before he came to NC State and was a part of that illustrious team? What was Thurl Bailey like? What was his upbringing like? Um, what happened to George McLean? I know, he, did you know George McLean almost died? And so, I decided that I wanted to interview each and individual player and get their own personal stories because as much as Sydney and I and Derek were seniors on that team and leaders, a lot of the press and the Sports Illustrated cover kind of centered around us and Jimmy V. But Tommy DiNardo, the walk-on, he was a champion too. He may not have played a minute in the championship game. Uh, I don't even know if he got in, in any of the postseason games or the ACC championship, but he showed up every day in practice trying to kick my butt. And he made me better. Uh, and, and he was a walk-on. So he has, to me, just as much importance as I did on the team. Uh, and so. I wanted to take a look behind the scenes and there were things that I, I found out that I didn't even know. I didn't know Ernie Myers' parents were in prison on drug charges. I, nobody knew that but V. And so to me, I look at that and I say, V took a chance on this young man. He could have been another you know, statistic. Um, but that was my, that was the genesis really of the book is to get all these stories together and not just the players, you know, Beverly Sparks, who was the executive secretary that was really our, our mom away from our moms and, um, you know, Jim Reebok, our trainer and doctor and, and, and you know, so our, our doctor and just a lot of people who had uh, the ability to influence us in some way and take care of us. So, 
Um, and people can find it on Amazon. Uh, and I've got a, a, uh, a, what do you call it? A book on tape. I don't know if tape is even a word you use today. You got the voice I, for it. I voice my, the, the story. They can find that in the next couple of months, but yeah, the book's done well. And, and I use it for corporate training and, uh, cause people need to, to find a way to, to tell their story. Their yeah. story is important. That, that that's their journey, and um, and so <clears throat> it was it was fun to do. It was fun to talk to these guys and learn about their beginnings and how we kind of serendipitously came together to do something great. Well, it's got kind of a unique concept to it too about how <laughs> three pointers and and halftime yeah. and all this. So it's a uh, it. I like ones that are unique like that and i've i've got the kindle version like you said just hearing people's journeys and stories and adding some context to who they are as people and who they were why do you think it is this 83 nc state team you know here we are 40 years later still talking about them then you you've had all these other national championships and tournament runs but there's something about this group that just seems to really stand out above most national championships that you've seen well, I think it's the epitome of what we all want to accomplish in our lives, right? I mean, it's called Cinderella story for a reason, right? It's it's that fairy tale, potentially true to life. You you wonder sometimes if it's because they call it a fairy tale, if it's even possible. And then you know, we showed that it is. And there are many successful people out there with great stories that have shown that. You know, it can be lived. And so I, I think when it happens at the magnitude that it happened to us in the way that it did, um, that people gravitate towards that. People want to experience that in their lives. People want to experience that in their teams. Not everyone can win a championship, but there is going to be a champion at every level, someone is going to do it. Why not you? Why can't it be you? Look what the NC State team did. Um, what are some of the ingredients? What do we have in common with them, right? We have this collective family that wants to win, that has each other's back. We have a coach that sees potential in all of us. He has his dream. What, what, what makes us any different? So. I think even on an individual basis, people say, look, I know what I want to do. I know what I want to accomplish. I'm going to go out and find my way. I'm going to break through these walls and, and fight against, you know, the person who says I can't do it. And that's what success is really about, right? It's yeah, not yeah. given to you. You've got to earn it. And so, um, yeah, I think that that really that story will forever be I mean, it's 40 years later trip and still talking about it and not just talking about it still celebrating it still yeah. remembering it with social media now you get you know kids who are in their 20s that weren't even born then yeah and they understand through their parents or through the documentary or whatever what it meant and and how inspirational it is so It'll always serve as that long after we're gone, I believe, because yeah. it was one of the greatest feats in 
in sports, but even more importantly, you look at kind of the the aftermath, right? Coach B passes away ten years later. Um, he dies of cancer. Look how much money the B Foundation has raised. It's incredible. And and Coach B is still fighting, right? He's fighting for a cure. Mm-hmm. His legacy is there, and that's what it is. It's it's all about the legacy of all of us. You know, not just our team, but you and what you're doing with your podcast and the people you're trying to inspire. You know, what do you want to leave behind? Yeah, what are you fighting for? And so that's why it will always be, I think, a powerful, powerful story to turn to or to keep going so people can understand what it means to be a true champion. Yeah, when tournament kicks off in a couple of weeks, at the time of this recording, guarantee you're going to see a clip of him running around the court looking for somebody to hug. For sure. And (laughs) before we uh, start to put a bow on this episode, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about that, how the, the White House visit happened. Oh, you know, we try to get together every so often after that remarkable run, and especially after V passed away and Lorenzo passed away and Quentin Leonard, who was a, another walk-on, a senior that year, passed away, uh, Coach Ed McLean. So it just seemed like we were really losing people. You know, at a certain age, you start losing folks. And so we decided that we better try to see each other, whether it was virtually or get together every so often. And every time we got together, we just kind of talked about things that we talked about, you know, things that we accomplished. Derek Wittenberg always talks about how it was, you know, a pass and not an air ball. That was an assist. Matter of fact, he, he's almost getting us to believe it. You say not, it too many times, it's not. supposed to become true. <laughs> But one of the things that really never happened, one, because of, uh, I think it was the school said that it would it would be an NCAA violation or something because we could use it as a recruiting tool. They couldn't afford to send us. So we did this uh, satellite thing with President Reagan yep. at that time. Coach B was in Washington. We were at a studio and we got to talk to the president. Well, it's not like being in the White House, right? So that was something that kind of had eluded us for years. It was Zoom before Zoom. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, although it was it was a nice thing to have happened at that time, kind of groundbreaking, if you will, it wasn't a visit with the president. So that was something that was always in the back of our minds, wish we could have had that opportunity. And so, you know, Coach V taught me this. You know, ask the right questions to the right people. You never know what could happen. And I had a really, really great friend in Salt Lake City, um, Senator Orrin Hatch, uh, one of the foremost respected politicians and senators. And so uh, I went to him and I just asked him, how could I get this team, he knew about our team. And I told him the story. We had never actually been in the White House to meet the president. And at that time, President Obama was the president. And so uh, 
he told me to write a letter. He said, you write a letter and send it to me and I'll write one and I'll walk both letters into President Obama's office. And he kind of said, he owes me a favor, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think about two and a half, three weeks after that, I get a phone call from the White House. And you know, the, the story goes from most people who've experienced that is they don't believe it, they kind of hang up. Yeah. Uh, definitely didn't hang up. And it was uh, it was one of the White House aides basically saying that, um, when can we get our team together? When could I get the team together? Because we, President Obama wants to invite us. Um, he invites President Joe Biden. And so it, it was euphoria. And I, I was at my desk and I was like, are you kidding me? I was kind of in shock and I'm trying to think of who I could call first. And the first person I actually called was Terry Gannon. I don't know why, it was just kind of a random thought. I'm gonna call TG. And TG was just so excited. He was just, uh, he was almost as excited as I was. Um, so I told him, I said, I'm, I'm gonna call each, each guy individually. and each person that's invited. So I had to negotiate how many people could come and how many they could bring. And that was a whole thing. And it was, so it was an amazing, amazing experience. Once we got everybody together, we, we all met in DC. We had a night before we had a nice get together at the hotel. And then we would walk down we were just a couple of blocks in the white house, went through that experience. And I actually brought my wife and I had a son who was on his church mission in Washington, D.C. at the time. I was able to get him to go as well. And it was one of the most incredible, incredible things that happened to any of us. And, you know, I, I thought it was special that it was President Barack Obama in office at that time, you know, the first black president. And, and uh, so it was, it was a special time for us to be able to do it. And uh, I'm glad I, I could play a part in bringing that whole thing together. And you have the letter in the book. I do. Which is, which is really cool I to do. see. Can, can you imagine, not just him with social media, but imagine Jimmy V, not just with an Instagram or a Twitter account, but imagine him standing in front of President Obama having that conversation. I know. <laughs> How entertaining would that be? Yeah. Um, folks, if you're, if you're listening out there, you want to find some entertaining stuff, just YouTube any jimmy v speech he will get you like he says laugh crying thinking i think his one with letterman is yes. just absolutely hilarious about um what was it pig picking <laughs> he talks yeah. about pig picking yeah. so yeah. definitely go check it out and uh just to kind of you know to, to put a bow in this episode you ended up getting drafted in the 83 draft seventh overall uh crazy from being cut in high for seventh and eighth grade to be in the number seven pick overall and coach valvano said to utah don't think of thorough as just a player but as a person who will be good for the team and the community so i know it's got to feel good to every time you hear that 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 he's definitely looking out for you and seeing you as the person you are and you went on to make a huge impact for that organization first playoff appearance in franchise history in 84 and then Understanding your role, you know, you started coming off the bench. Guy Carl Malone, he had a pretty good career, and uh, but you're one of the best six men ever in the NBA. 
I'm just throwing that out there. I appreciate and, that. Yeah, Jazz, number five, all-time lead scorer. When you think of your pro career as a whole, what, what comes to mind? Well, I, I think, uh, one, kind of how prophetic Jimmy V was. He knew me. Yeah. Right. He knew I was a good player, but he knew that basketball wasn't the most important thing to me. He knew that in the end, when it came down to it, it was the things I would bring through my my success in basketball and other things. And he even sat me down and told me I was going to be more than just a basketball player. He told me that even knew about my music and said that, you know, you're going to do great things there. So, you know, I think that, that having people that believe in you in your life and people that, uh, that know what kind of person you are, know where your heart is and have that lens, right. That lens we were talking about earlier. I think, uh, that has helped me, whether it was my parents or V and even the coach that cut me twice. People ask me, well, did you go back and rub it in space? I said, no. When I made it to the NBA, I went back. I gave him tickets to any game he wanted to come to, and I thanked him. I thanked him because he didn't have an obligation to keep to teach me and develop me. That's character. But, but he helped me make a choice of what I wanted, a decision. I had a decision to make. Is this something I love? Well, I, you know, I, I find a way to get there. And so, yeah. Um, you know, that was a full circle thing, shaking Dr. J's hand at midcourt, coming from a kid who got cut twice. Um, all the work that was put in on my behalf by my parents, you know, by people who saw that thing, whether it was my education or my music or whatever. Um, yeah, and the journey continues. You know, I'm six, I'll be 62 years old and coming up here real soon. And it's, uh, it's been an amazing journey. It's been a great platform. It's been amazing to, for people like you to understand the importance of what we achieved and what we went through and, and still keep it alive for other people to, to learn from and to, to enjoy. You're looking good. You're like, you can still go for 62. In my mind, I can always go. <laughs> my body says different. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always ask this question to end an episode. I always ask people about their legacy, but I'm going to kind of do yours a little bit different. So what song or lyric sums up your legacy? Wow, Trip, you're getting deep on me, bro. <laughs> what song or trip or what song sums up? Oh, man. You know, I'm so eclectic with music and lyrics. Boy, if I could find what I remember, you know, they they started playing the one shining moment thing. Love it. After, but uh, I think when we wanted it was Kenny Loggins. This is it. Yes, uh, back when they had like Phil Collins or Kenny Loggins. Yeah, yeah. Ours was the this is it, and it it was. It was uh, Kenny Loggins, make no mistake where you are. This is it. The waiting is over. You know, there's a time in our life when, it, I, you know, it's just, it, 
that was a great song. And I, I became a Kenny Loggins fan after that. But I have to really think that one over because there's a lot of music in here, man. That, that'll be the plane stuff. ride home where you're like, ah, the yeah. George Costanza, that's the moment. And you know, I, I think the bottom line is we need to write our own song. Mm. You know, we need to we need to put lyrics to our own journey. Yeah. And 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 make it our, our life song. I, I just and I, I think that's why I love music so much is that I'm a lyrical guy and and words are so powerful right um there's so much out there that inspires us um, but i'm going to think about that one i'm going to think if there's one song that kind of encapsulates this thing that I've, I've, I've gone through this journey yeah i'm not sure there is but um it's amazing yeah maybe that's why i'll name the song it's amazing <laughs> but um yeah it's this is it, man. You know, we, we, this thing that we accomplished together came from so many different places for each of us. And for that, what seemed like that four years, which seemed like a small blip in time culminated into, into something that we're still talking about. And, and I still love it. Yeah. It, Incredible journey, incredible story, not just yours, but that 83 NC State team and then anything Jimmy V uh, could sit here and and talk all day about. And I would love to see him with a podcast. That would have been something. Uh, What what final comments do you have for our listeners out there? Well, you know, we've we've covered a lot of ground trip. Um, I would just say that, you know, my both my parents have passed away in the last five six years um and i think as a parent all you hope for is that your kids go on and and do great things and continue to fight what they believe in and and uh, fight for what they believe in and make a difference i think our our society our world has just gotten so crazy now with you know, mental health issues to, uh, you know, racial issues. And it seems, seems like sometimes we're taking a step back instead of forward. But I, I do believe that each individual person can make an impact, right? Can really make an impact in, in just that purpose part. You know, what's your purpose? I think all of us have that and should have that in common is to serve other people. Yeah. You know, and, you know, service is a powerful thing. You can do it in a lot of ways. You can do it with kindness. You can do it with volunteering. You can do it with, with what you're doing. You're serving folks. You're, you're bringing a message to folks that hopefully will impact them, influence them to go on and, and serve other people. So I, I think with me, you know, for the short period I have left, you know, I say short, but, you know, 20 30 years is nothing now. You just want to be as impactful as you can. You want to leave that legacy like B is leaving. You know, he will always be alive because of what he meant mm-hmm. to people and the impact that he's had. And so that that would be my my final thought is to make an impact, make a positive impact and go out and 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 by choice serve other people in whatever way you feel you need to. 
just awesome way to end this episode. Some powerful, there's nuggets all in this episode of just positive messages uh, for our listeners. And I can't thank you enough for doing this. I've already told you, Jamie Valvano, one of my favorite people. Um, Think the world of her. Uh, Folks, do yourself a favor and some spare time. Sit back and get on YouTube and watch you some 1983 NC State. Throw in the YouTube machine, Jimmy V, if you really want to be entertained. Just some incredible stuff out there. It's the beauty of the internet now, as you can find all this stuff from way back when. This has been another incredible episode of the Rebound Podcast. Coming up next week, we have Ricky Price from Duke. And then following that, we have Mark Price from Georgia Tech and the Cleveland Cavaliers to round things off for season three of what has been an incredible rebound series i told my wife this morning before i hit record with everybody i said don't let me forget this feeling this is the coolest feeling in the world being able to do this as a fan with the tvs being rolled into the classroom to watch the acc tournament um, this is so cool that i get to do this and then spread some incredible powerful messages during these episodes folks check us out next week on another episode of the shadows podcast 